So do keep uh, your Red Bible open if you can, page 1076, or flip it open on your phone, John chapter 10. We're going to be thinking about uh, a rich picture with a number of different points going on. If I said to you, bring to mind a picture of a sheep, you'd do it fairly easily, I guess. Uh, Some of you will be thinking of a white fluffy lamb springing around. Um, Anybody who's a farmer will tell you a white fluffy lamb does not stay white and fluffy that long in a muddy field. But keep, keep that going for the time being. Some of you will see something a bit larger, a bit woollier, um, uh, in large numbers. Um, some of you will be thinking about Easter Sunday lunch, I'm sure. If I said to you, that's great, sheep are pretty universal, they run all the way around the planet, um, bring to mind the idea of a shepherd, well then around the room we might have some very different ideas. Some of us who are used to having holidays in uh, the Peak District or something like that will have ideas of poor sheep cowering in the wind and the rain, but in sort of enclosed fields in some way. Maybe in the Cotswolds you've got that idea, a bit bit warmer. Others of you will have ideas of sheep in a slightly more unprotected setting. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He wants us to call to mind a place where... To get the grass and the water for the sheep, the sheep need to be taken somewhere. It's not a natural pasture land where he is. And so what the shepherd does is rather than just stand on a fence chewing a a piece of grass and watching the little things, the, the shepherd actually has to lead the sheep to some grass, a patch of grass. And then when that is gone, lead them somewhere else to a patch of grass and then lead them off to the water. And then at night time, bring them back into the village, maybe into some kind of walled enclosure. And it's that. We, we think of walls around the field, and that's where the sheep stay. For the picture that Jesus is needing, um, think about the sheep being out all over the place with their shepherd, but coming back at night to this walled enclosure. And when Jesus talks about here about sheep being enclosed in a sheepfold, That's what he has in mind. Now, it's a common picture of his day, and he used it to teach several things, actually. He got people to to mull things over. Let's let's pull out two. The first is a famous one that Jesus talks about being a shepherd, a good shepherd. The good shepherd is the one who finds out where the grass is and the water is and looks after the sheep and brings them back. Then he flips it round slightly, And he talks about being the gate for the sheep. And that the gate is kind of the way in, the way out. Bit of protection, bit of safety, but the way in, the way out. You see, he's got two... I think that's what may have confused the Pharisees. They thought he was making one point. He's actually making several from this picture. Let's have a think about them. A shepherd... We think of it, we've just done it, as a farming picture, looking after the sheep and being the gate. It's also, for people of Jesus' time, a political picture. Because Israel's rulers, for centuries, had called themselves the shepherds of the people. 
Remember the famous psalm, Psalm 23, where King David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He'd grown up as a shepherd boy. He'd become a king and shepherded the people, and he saw now that God had shepherded him. It's a picture of being in charge, of, of leading. So this is a charged picture. It's not just a quiet country scene. When Jesus says, I am a shepherd, he's making a claim to be a king, making a claim to be a ruler, a leader. And that really hits the 21st century hard because lots of us will be thinking about this and we, maybe we find a corner of our hearts or a big part of our hearts that says, I don't need a shepherd. I do not need a shepherd. I stand on my own two feet, thank you. Maybe you're starting out in life and you are full of ambition and you're full of dreams. Or maybe you're striding through life and your life is full of busyness and activities. The dream of our culture is to be independent, isn't it? To stand on our own two feet, to protect for ourselves, to be self-contained, self-directed, to run life our way. At least that was our dream until about two years ago. And what the pandemic has shown is that much as we might want to be self-contained and self-directed, much as we might want to be masters of our soul, captains of our destiny, our own shepherds, whatever our ambitions, whatever our dreams, whatever our plans, it came crashing down at the sight of a global pandemic and then crashing down again at the whisker of World War III. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, hmm, whatever our 21st century Western views are, maybe older, more traditional, non-Western cultures had some good ideas. Maybe shepherds are good things. So let's look at Jesus. Jesus said, verse 11, that's halfway down the right-hand column there, I am the good shepherd. What does a good shepherd do? Well, he sets up a contrast. He talks about other shepherds, all other shepherds, uh, as being ones who steal and kill and destroy. If it wouldn't take much for a farmer to be looking at that and saying, I know exactly what that's like. I know what sheep rustlers do. I know what wild dogs, wolves do. That's exactly what they do. They steal, they kill, they destroy. And of course, if you walk out the picture, Jesus is staring straight at the leaders of his day, whether it's the Jewish ones or the Roman ones, and saying, you are the robbers. You are stealing and you are killing and you are destroying. And Jesus says, he, by contrast, is the good shepherd. Set it up and then look at the response. That the bad shepherds steal. Jesus gives, if you read his life story, he gives healing, he gives forgiveness, he gives dignity back. He's not the one who steals, he's the one who gives. He's not the one who destroys, he's the one who creates. He creates communities. He recreates families. Over the last 2,000 years, 
he has been the single biggest culture creator our planet has seen. Thieves come to kill. Jesus, throughout his life, healed and even raised from the dead. So thieves steal and destroy and kill. Jesus gives and creates and heals. We can go further, though, because this is a breathtaking claim, an astonishing promise. Look with me again at verses 9 and 10. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's Jesus' plan, that we have life and have it to the full. That this is not a picture anymore of farming or of politics. He, he's decoded it. He's explained it completely. Jesus is saying, because I am the good shepherd, he says, you can have life to the full. You can have life to the best. You can have life to the max. Now let that bloom in your mind. Think about the negative side first of all. What in your life are you most fearful of? What keeps you awake at night? What makes you tense? Each of the things that you're thinking of is something to which Jesus says he has the answer and he will replace it in your life with something which is not just marginally better, but the best it could possibly be. Or put it the other way around. Think of it the positive. What is it you most long for? What is it that you dream of? What keeps you awake at night with the excitement? Jesus says, every one of those things will be something I will fulfill or replace with the fullest possible life. There's an American uh, writer and Christian leader called Rick Warren, and he, he's done this. He says, wherever he speaks, he says he finds in any crowd there are six great needs. Not everyone has all six, but in a crowd like ours this morning, all six will be represented. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants their lives to count. Many people carry crushing guilt. Many people carry consuming bitterness. Many people experience deep emptiness. And most people fear death. Want to be loved, want our lives to count. Guilt, bitterness, emptiness, and death. And if he's right, I think he pretty much is on the money. There'll be people here today representing all six of those things. How would Jesus address those? How would he take those six things and say, here is life and life to the absolute fullest? We need to be loved. Well, says the Bible, Jesus loved us to the uttermost, to the furthest limit 
possible. It is not possible for anyone to love us more than Jesus has loved us and serves us. You want your life to count. Jesus says, I know my own by name. Billions of people on the planet and he knows your name. He knows your middle name. He knows your nickname. He knows the name you were called when you were... He knows you. And more than that, rather than those things that will shape you and bend you because of your past, he promises to give you a new name. Many of us carry a burden of guilt. And it's, I mean, it sounds really trite, doesn't it, to say that Jesus forgives. But, man, that's a message we need to hear. If you are active on social media, you will know just how slight someone's offense needs to be for the whole of social media to descend on them in a feeding frenzy. Something that somebody may have said 10 years ago, they're not allowed to escape it, they have to live with it. It might, might be something that's just unfashionable, maybe culture has moved, or maybe they've changed their mind, but they cannot escape the weight of what they said. 10, 15 years ago. And the result is that we live in a cancel culture where anybody who might have said anything at any point can be cancelled from a public platform because they have offended in some way. What Jesus does is he says, I'm not going to cancel you. I'm going to cancel your sin. I will genuinely forgive. I will genuinely forget. What you said 10, 15 years ago, the stuff that you stand by, the stuff that you deeply regret, it's covered. It's forgotten. It's, oh, that Twitter could forgive and forget. It is forgiven. It is forgotten. Many of us carry a bitterness. Jesus says, I will give you a hope and a future. And if it's experience emptiness, Jesus says, you will be full of the Holy Spirit, brimful. He talks about giving living water that bubbles up from within. And many of us fear death. And once again, let's remember the time of year where we're thinking about this. When Jesus conquers death, that's not a metaphor. That's not an image. That really is true. When you go to a family funeral, you can stand there and say, Jesus rose from the dead. Because what Jesus claims to be is not just a shepherd, it is the good shepherd, and that means he meets our ultimate needs ultimately. Over these few Sundays, we've been thinking about the rooms that Christians live in, the no longer room, the now room, and the not yet room. And we have learned that it is right as Christians that we live without fear, without regret, without guilt, without emptiness, and that we should be brimful of meaning and hope. You're going to say, Chris, you're starting to sound like one of those people with shiny teeth. Are you promising us health and wealth and success? Does Jesus promise those? Well, I won't lie. There are churches that do claim to promise that. 
There are churches that do say Jesus says you will be healthy and you will be wealthy and you will be prosperous. I need to warn you, I think they're fake. I think they're snake oil salesmen. How can you be sure? Well, look at Jesus. Where did he end up? On a cross. Does that look healthy to you? When he's had his very clothes taken from him in a gambling game, does that look wealthy to you? When he's being whipped and stripped and pelted, does that look like success to you? No. That looks like pain and shame and poverty. Does that mean he failed? No. Look again at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what it means for him to love us to the uttermost. That's what it took to win that forgiveness. Good shepherds do for the sheep what the sheep can't do for themselves. Yeah, they lead them out to find the grass. Yes, they lead them out to to do the water. But they will protect them to the point Well, Jesus protects to the point where he laid down his life for the sheep. Laying down his life for, just dwell on that word for. It's a tiny little word. It's a little word in English. It's a little word in the original. But it carries a whole weight of meaning. It means on behalf of. It's a picture of Jesus as a shepherd who died protecting his sheep. He's acting as the gate. He's acting as the block. He gave his life so we don't need to. And he stepped out the story. This is not an image, not an illustration. He said, this is actually what I'm doing for my people, for my sheep. I am laying down my life. In this little series, we've talked about all the benefits that Jesus has won for us through his death and resurrection. We've talked about how we're free as Christians from the penalty of sin. We've talked about how we're not yet fear from the presence of sin. But we've talked about how we are now daily free from the power of sin. We've talked about being released from shame and fear and guilt with the power of the Holy Spirit. And today I simply want to ask you, what do you, what do you make of that? We've talked about two doors, the no longer door and the not yet door. Today I want to talk about the, the third door, the now door, the Jesus door. Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. Verse 9, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. And the question is, is that what you have done? It's an individual picture. I don't know where you want to take it. You want to take it through a a turnstile, a football ground, or a sheep in a sheep dip, whatever picture you want. This is an individual thing. Huge flock of sheep, and they have to go through one at a time. And my question to you as a crowd, but as an individual, is where are you on your journey? Is there a point where you have said, 
I believe. There may be, for some people, a dramatic moment. That dramatic moment might be today. It may, might be, as in Jolla's story, a lifelong simmering, but then there's suddenly a moment where, I'm going to put words in your mouth, it's as though you're writing in ink what previously has been written in pencil, where you suddenly think, oh no, this is true, this is real, this is for me. Maybe being a Christian is something that you've always kind of been part of your life, you've never known anything different. That's fine. The question is, today, right now, do you know that you have walked through that door? Forget when. Do you know that you have walked through that door? Jesus' door. What does that mean? Well, I sometimes say when I give a talk like this, there are four different ways to react, which I call A, B, C, D. A means, so you're sitting there in your head, you're thinking, absolutely. Yep, I've known this as long as I can remember. That's wonderful. I'm thrilled for you. D stands for don't believe a word of it. Um, thank you for not throwing things at me in that case uh, or for writing me strong emails. I do think you're wrong and I would love to have a chat with you about why it's reasonable to believe in Jesus. The two other ones are interesting. C means considering. Hmm. It's not that I don't believe this, I'm just not sure I do yet. I'm sort of taking it for a walk, maybe. I'm looking at it. I'm kicking its tires to see what it will be like to drive. I'm considering it. I've got something for you, if that's you. And B stands for, well, the long way around is to say beginning today. The short way is to say bingo. I suddenly understand what it means. Jesus is the good shepherd. He offers life in all its fullness. And the way he did that was by dying for me. Ha, huh, why have I never seen that before? And if that's you, that's a wonderful place to be. Because you are at that point where you're walking through that gate, that final door, where you're saying, I want to walk with Jesus as my good shepherd, knowing that whatever it takes, he will design a life which is life in all its fullness. Yes, it might well involve me being in a hospital room staring at a brick wall. It's not all going to be roses, but it will be life in all its fullness that he will promise and deliver. And if you would like to start that with me now, I'm going to say a prayer. I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than to say you want to echo it in your heart. I'm going to pray a prayer. Lord Jesus, I have now realized that you are the good shepherd. That you came to lay down your life for sheep like me. And that if I come in through you, you offer me life in all its fullness. Thank you that you are the gate for the sheep and the good shepherd for the sheep. And I want to be one of your sheep, one of your flock, one of your people. Thank you that because of what you have done, I understand that you offer forgiveness and a new start without shame or fear or guilt. You promise me the pres your presence, the presence of your Holy Spirit, to have life in all its fullness.
Amen.